Gorgeous day in London, Ontario. Record has just been broken for most expensive gas. Not again. Thought it was coming down a little bit. No, not here. Not even in Canada. And not even because gas was supposed to be expensive. We'll have that story for you in about 30 seconds. want to let you know what's coming up on the show today. We are going to be talking about one-use breathalyzers. You know Black Fly. They are a distillery. They were given, what, Canada's first distillery license in 100 years or over 100 years. Amazing. They're a great success story in London, Ontario. Well, they have a new idea. They are going to be including one-use, in other words, personalized breathalyzers with some of their products. And you can consume some product, and then you have this little breathalyzer to determine whether or not you're over the legal limit. Now, these breathalyzers are not the same standard issue that police services tend to use. Just keep that in mind. These cost about $4. So there's a little bit of a difference, but it is a guideline. We'll be talking about that today. What do you think of that? Is that something that is a good idea? You know, some bars and restaurants used to do this. Had a few in Quebec years and years ago. You know what it does? Sometimes it prompts a competition. Let's see who can blow the highest. And that's not always the best thing. It might sound like entertainment, but it tends to have nasty consequences. So we'll get to that. We'll discuss that. We are also going to be talking about cigarette butts. If you look around any city, doesn't even have to be London, but certainly London is on this list, and you look down, And you see the types of garbage that are down there. Very few hubcaps. Very few. Uh, Very few large pieces of metal of any kind. But cigarette butts, gum, absolutely everywhere. If you talk to somebody whose job it is to clean up any city, they will tell you that cigarette butts and that gum are the two biggest nightmares. And so... We have something in kind of a neighboring city that is starting. They're going to do something about their cigarette butt situation. And it's going to cost them some money. Is it going to work in the end? Don't know. But I like their approach because it's not some kind of new Hoover vacuum. It's not some kind of crazy bylaw that is restricting people and if you get caught on camera throwing a cigarette butt on the ground you are going to be sent to prison that's not what it is it's different and we're going to get to that at about 120 so most expensive gas yeah uh that now belongs to oak creek wisconsin And not because they were trying to sell expensive gas, not even because gas is all that pricey in Oak Creek, Wisconsin, but because they were opening up a new gas station. And a woman decided to pull up to the pumps. And they were so close to opening this gas station that the pumps were actually on. And unfortunately for her, the pump price hadn't been set, but the pump was able to pump gas. So there is apparently a default setting for whatever company was putting these in. And a cost for, in her case, because she's in the United States, a gallon of gas was $9.99. 
So in other words, you just had the numbers that could be there maxed out because you won't get $10 per gallon of gas, will you? It's three numbers on those pumps. 999 is what it read. And she didn't look. She just pulled in. I need gas. I got to get this done. We've all been in that situation. So she pulls up to the pump, gets out, turns on the pump, all set. I don't know whether she prepaid. Most pumps in the United States, you have to prepay. So sticks the nozzle in, starts pumping, and happens to look up at the little display on the pump. And she's going, whoa, this is, this is uh, escalating quickly here. She actually stopped pumping gas at $64 plus, And she had put all of six liters into her vehicle. And she now is trying to get this money back. She told the clerk, later had to tell the police. She didn't realize the price sign was not on. She didn't realize that the gas station wasn't open. She just needed gas. And uh, police have told her to dispute the charge on her credit card and talk to her bank. So she might be out the $64 for gas. In London, the lowest right now, according to GasBuddy.com, Costco on Wonderland, $1.18. Average is about $126. Vancouver's under that big old record-setting $161 mark. They're at about $157.6. Cheapest in Ontario? Not too far from here. Other side of Simcoe, if you go to Hagersville, you'll find it for about $114, courtesy of Toby's Gas Bar. Be careful. Every time you pull up to the pump, if it says $9.99, it means... $9.99. Next, we are going to tackle cigarette butts. Is a neighboring city on to something? Is this something we could do? We might even be able to do it without spending the money that they are going to. We'll have details because we have to do something about it. London is a really clean city. Talk to anybody who lives somewhere else who moves here. What is one of the first things that they say? Believe how clean it is. It's pretty amazing here. Wow, but we still have our share of cigarette butts, and we're not hammering down on smokers, but you're the ones that throw them on the ground. We do have receptacles in London. You can put those in there. They do get picked up, and in fact, if you put them in a receptacle, they actually take those butts, and they don't just throw them in the garbage. They actually take them and recycle them because a cigarette butt is not biodegradable. A cigarette butt is plastic which is why they hang around so long. So let's find out what a neighboring city is going to do. We'll do that right after the break. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live on a Tuesday. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. You ever cook rice and then drop it on the ground? I'm not very good in the kitchen. It's not where I excel. It's down the list. And I sometimes have done that more times than I probably should have. I don't even know why. But sweeping up wet rice off the kitchen floor, like that, it doesn't work. You can't. It's kind of like the cigarette butt of the outdoor world. No matter what you do, it's very difficult to pick these things up. Because in the outdoor world, the cigarette butts, which are kind of like in large pieces of rice, they get stuck in cracks and crevices and there's enough of them out there. I can't believe how many. Cigarette butts are tossed onto the ground. And a lot of it has to just be learning to do it, right? Where as a new smoker, 
you watch other smokers, and they finish their cigarette, and what do they do with the butt? Oh, you tuck that down on the ground there. Step on it. Put out the fire. Because that is the other part. I mean, you could say, well, why don't you just throw it in the garbage? Because uh, London fire crews might end up having some busy times. You don't necessarily want to put anything burning into a garbage. And even though it's not really burning that much, we all know that cigarette butts, not extinguished, have caused fires in the past. So it's possible. That's why there are the little receptacles around town. So you're supposed to put it in there. But what if you're not there? What if you don't have a receptacle there right in front of you? Well, throw it down on the ground. Step on it. It is recyclable material, right? Uh, not really. But we have a neighboring city just down the road in Hamilton, and they have some sort of new idea about what to do with cigarette butts. So we want to check in on this because when they brought the World Figure Skating Championships in and when they've had some of the other events in, there have been crews who have gone around and painstakingly, like you would pick up wet rice off a floor with a finger and thumb, they have done that. They have picked up little cigarette butt after little cigarette butt. And so... If we could find a different way of doing things, if we could find something that, that might work better than having to do that one by one by one, let's go for it. Peter Wabshaw joins us. He is the supervisor of program development with the city of Hamilton. Peter, how big a problem are cigarette butts in Hamilton? Yeah, I think um, they're definitely a problem here, and our research has indicated it's not unique to uh, London or Hamilton or Canada or even North America. In fact, even with gum, I think there's a in Singapore there's a seven hundred fifty dollar U.S. fine for throwing it away, and you're not uh, legally able to purchase it, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, those two, I think they're primarily an issue because they're kind of small, um, and people probably think it disappears. But uh, interesting enough, most of our gum is plastic, and ninety five percent of cigarette butts are plastic. And I've heard and understand that uh, every piece of plastic that man has ever created exists somewhere on Earth. And right now there's some big, giant pools of it floating around in the, uh, in the Pacific Ocean. So it, it is a huge problem. And I think um, our research has also shown, you know, the same person that will go across the road and out of their way to make sure that an aluminum can is, you know, put in the right receptacle um, has no problems throwing it by the way. So I don't know if they think it's made of cotton and it's, you know, biodegradable or if it's small enough that it'll just, you know, disappear. Uh, but, you, you know, we've got some pretty big problems with microplastics these days getting into our ecosystems, and it's, it's, it's a big issue. So the one thing is to kind of shrug it off and say there isn't much we can do. We just hope eventually people stop. You guys are taking a bit of a different approach in Hamilton. What are you doing? Well, it's it's clearly a behavioral change issue. Uh, we do have some folks that think that uh, and firmly believe that, you know, enforcement's the way to go. Um, and that's difficult. We have, you know, we've got a lot of our, our law enforcement folks are, are pretty busy. Uh, I don't know. They're probably the same situation in London. Um and, you know, you have to kind of offer education first. So in order to catch someone throwing their butt, you'd have to visually see it. So someone would have to be, you know, an enforcement officer would have to watch them discard their butt uh, improperly. And then they would have to approach them and, 
essentially give them a warning, and then they wouldn't be able to really find them unless they caught them again. Um, it's a tremendous amount of resources. So what we're looking at and what our research has shown, um, and we've learned a lot. We're a member of uh, Keep America Beautiful, so we've learned a lot from uh, campaigns that have been going on in the States and Canada and throughout the world from them. Um, it's really behavior change. And whenever you're talking about behavior change, it's kind of like taking down an iceberg with a hatchet. It's just a lot of small um, small initiatives, and hopefully you whittle it away. So what we're focusing on is, is really a uh, kind of an education campaign in the area of BIAs, the business improvement areas. We have 13 of those here in Hamilton. Um, and these are organizations that represent the local businesses in a certain geographical area. So, you know, they've got a lot of social capital in that area. They have established networks. Obviously, they're connected with our members. So we're looking at a poster campaign, um, things like uh, coasters for bars, because that seems to be one location that, uh, um, you know, generates a lot of cigarette butts. And the message would be, you know, we're going to have someone do something that's unique for Hamilton um, and that speaks to Hamiltonians, but uh, the message is essentially, you know, butts are letter two. Um, we're also looking at strategically putting out strategically placed um, receptacles, uh, you know, in those areas that uh, seem to generate butts, and that would include uh, working with the BIAs to identify those areas. Because there is a cost to putting in receptacles, and I've often said, too, you know, you can put in receptacles, you know, every foot all the way down, run, running down the road, but it doesn't mean people are going to use them. Um, so what else are we going to do? Oh, and uh, provide uh, subsidies also for wall-mounted uh, receptacles at the places where the butts are generated as well. We're talking with Peter Wabshell, Supervisor of Program Development with the City of Hamilton, about cigarette butts and about an education campaign that they are starting. Is this an expensive campaign? Is it one that you feel can you know can can find its uh, its money easily? Well, I think it's like graffiti and uh, litter and everything. It's it's not going to be easy to do. It's going to take years to change because we are talking about behavior change. And unfortunately, there is a percentage of the, uh, you know, the, our residents that are just will never change their behavior. So this problem, like graffiti, will will never go away, unfortunately. But we're going to do our best to mitigate it because it is a problem. Right now, it's uh, it's about education. So uh, we're also, like most municipalities, challenged with a lot of varying priorities. Uh, currently, we have. Uh, because of the, the issues with China not taking recyclables, and, and, and um, we have issues with new uh, materials not being accepted in our, in our blue box. So that needs to be communicated. That We have organic green bin collection here, too. Uh, we have problems with contamination. So those two items, you know, are, are pretty important, and we have a, only a limited number of education dollars. So at this moment, it looks like that's where the money's going to go. Um, so we might have to put cigarette butt uh, litter on the back burner for now. We have a program ready to go. As soon as we can get funding, we're ready to implement it. Um, but we do have a lot of priorities. And we also have to look at it from a staff point of view. Um, you know, as much as cigarette butts are ugly, and, and certainly they're not going to help your economic development and attracting businesses to the city, 
you know, our staff, our public works staff, are going to be going down the sidewalks, picking up litter and sweeping up litter, uh, whether there's two butts or 2,000 butts. So it, even if we got rid of the cigarette butts altogether, it's not going to affect how often we're out there picking up litter. Um, so it has very little effect on our front lines. So right now the project's on hold. We're hoping for uh, funding in 2019, and we're working with our council on uh, what priorities are for the city. Peter Wabshaw. Supervisor of Program Development with the City of Hamilton. So, this is not some big Hoover vacuum. This is not a bylaw that cracks down by filming everyone who's throwing a cigarette butt onto the ground. This is, hey, butts are litter too. And they're spending some money on this. Tens of thousands. Which, in a city budget, isn't big. What do you think? Is this worth it? Is this something that London should actually look to do? Would education make the difference? In this, or is our world just always going to have cigarette butts until people stop smoking, which I don't think is happening anytime soon? And if you are a smoker, what is the challenge? Is it a habit to just go flick? Is it part of, well, I want to make sure that the fire is out, so I'm going to throw it down on the ground, I'm going to step on it? Help me out. If you can put some perspective on the life of a smoker, because I've never been one, so I don't know. So what is it that is causing trouble for smokers to get those cigarette butts into those receptacles? Because as Peter Wabshaw from Hamilton just said, he feels that they could put a cigarette butt receptacle in every couple of feet and all the way down the street, and it wouldn't matter. People would still throw them on the ground. So what is it? Is it just what you do as a smoker? Is it the fire aspect? Is it the receptacles aren't around? What is it? 519-643-2222. You can email. And if you want me to leave you anonymous, I will. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. But is this a decent venture in all of this? Can you educate people? Because I really think it does become just habitual. Yeah, it's just a cigarette butt. Throw it down on the ground. It's fine. What are you getting worked up about? It's just a little tiny thing. Yeah, but they're everywhere. And you can't get rid of them. And no, they don't break down. We did, if you're just joining us, check in with London. And if you do hit one of those receptacles with your cigarette butt, they actually get picked up. They actually get recycled into other things because there is that much plastic in there. So if you are a smoker right now and you can help me out, what is it? about the old cigarette butt onto the ground. Is it habit? Did you learn it from the people that you learned to smoke with or smoked with at first? Is it putting out the fire? Because I have absolutely no idea on this, but I'd love to know. And is it worth it to spend tens of thousands of dollars, as Hamilton plans to do, in order to try and educate people that butts are littered too? Or is that just taking all of that money and lighting it on fire? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. After news, we are going to be talking about single-use breathalyzers. Blackfly, which creates its product right here, products right here in London, is going to be doing something different. They're going to be taking a single-use breathalyzer, and they're going to be putting it on some of their products. And the idea is, yeah, you can consume alcoholic beverages. You want to see whether or not you're within range to drive? 
here's something that can help you out. Now, even Blackfly is not saying, look, this is the be-all and the end-all. If you get pulled over, if you get charged, bring it to court. That's not what they're saying. But they are including these things. What do you think of that? We'll be discussing it just after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. Jerry Dias is going to join us to talk about NAFTA after 2 o'clock, and we've got a few other things to get to as well. We are also going to hear from the president of MAD Canada, Patricia Hines-Coates, before 2 o'clock, and she'll give us her thoughts on single-use breathalyzers attached to alcoholic beverages. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Beautiful day for baseball. The Blue Jays are taking on the Seattle Mariners, and we will have that for you tonight starting at 7 o'clock on 980 CFPL. There is some news out of the Blue Jays' world that isn't great. There were a number of reports, and now... There is evidence that Roberto Osuna, who is the closer for the Toronto Blue Jays, has been charged with assault. And it appears to be the assault of a female, according to Toronto police. So no real details other than that. Not sure what it does for him in the foreseeable future. But he is reportedly scheduled to make a court appearance on Monday, June 18th. So that's the latest from the Blue Jays' world. Let's talk about London, Ontario, and let's talk about one particular business in London, Ontario, because something fascinating is taking place with Blackfly Beverage Alcohol Company. Okay? That's essentially what they are, Blackfly Beverage Company. And they have been making... Mixed drinks in bottles for a few years now. They were the first company to be awarded a distillery license in Ontario in more than 100 years. So it's pretty neat to have them here. Well, they're doing something brand new. They say, according to their commitment to social responsibility, they would like, or are going to, be attaching single-use breathalyzers to some of their products. Now, the breathalyzer is endorsed by Mad Canada. We're going to hear from Mad Canada before 2 o'clock. And it's FDA-approved in the United States. And the idea is that this single-use breathalyzer, so you can't be using this a whole bunch of times you don't get your own breathalyzer. These are not the breathalyzers that police services make use of. But they will measure your blood alcohol content. And they have crystals inside a little tube. They'll change color depending on an individual's alcohol level. So you're not going to get a reading of .08 when you blow into this. It's going to change color. It's kind of like a little litmus test. If it's white, you're at 0%. If it's purple, you're at 0.08%. And otherwise, you are looking at, what, shades of purple it appears to be? And you can see that you are beyond the legal limit. I mean, what you can do, the test will not indicate blood alcohol levels beyond simply the legal limit. So it'll either be white or it'll be a shade of purple leading up to 0.08%. So these are are being included. What do you think of doing this? this is this a good idea to put this out there? Is this something that is encouraging 
drinking, encouraging excessive drinking in any way? We'll open up the phone lines on this because it's something that a company here in London is doing. Good idea, bad idea, doesn't matter kind of idea. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. Back to talk about personalized breathalyzers in just a moment on London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. If you purchase something that's an alcoholic beverage and it has a personal breathalyzer on it, is it something that you would even take out of its package? Is it something that you would use? For a while, restaurants and bars did this. You ever sit down in one of the restaurants or bars? They were popular in Quebec for a period of time. And I grew up in the Ottawa area. And right across the river was Hull, Quebec, now called Gatineau. And so we would go to Hull sometimes. Drinking age in Quebec was 18. That was one of the reasons why. And inside those bars were little breathalyzers. And when you had whether it was teenagers, whether it was people who were young and in their 20s, and you had a little breathalyzer there, it opened it up to competition. Who could get the highest blood alcohol level? Now, none of us were driving, at least the people I was hanging out with. So that wasn't what it was. But it still promoted excessive consumption. Now, as an 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, you were probably going to do that if you were drinking anyway. But if you had that there, you would get people blowing in. And it makes you realize pretty quickly that it doesn't take as much alcohol as you might think to be completely drunk. And that you can blow into that thing after a couple of drinks. You can be over the legal limit. The difference between being over the legal limit and then being way over the legal limit, that's where things are a little bit testy. If you ever see somebody who is charged and they have a blood alcohol level that is over 0.3, it's impossible to even get there. I mean, the the amount of alcohol that they would have to consume to get to that is amazing. And it has happened. What is fatal? 0.5? I think 0.5. Somewhere around there is fatal. So if we're looking at a company that is willing to put out Little personalized breathalyzers. Do you like this idea? Is it something that you consider helpful? Is it something that you consider just, eh, they can do what they want. I mean, it's not really going to make that much of a difference in daily life. 519-643-2222. Phone lines are open. Or you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Or you can tweet at Stubbs980. Email from Danny, and Danny says, Mike, I don't mind the idea. I just don't think it's going to be used very much if it can't show that you are over the legal limit. In order for something to actually make a difference, you would need to see exactly what the blood alcohol content was in your system. That's just my thought. Okay, well, Danny, thanks for that. Uh, Another one from Chris saying, this isn't going to matter too much. I don't think I would even take it out of the package. It's something that is just there to educate. And I think that's the key. That's the key in all of this. It's there to educate. It's there to say, okay, this at least makes me think if I am drinking whatever this black fly beverage is, hey, you know what? I could be around the legal limit. So maybe it acts as a deterrent because all we have to do is look at the drinking and driving statistics. Think about the campaigns 
that have been underway. And we will speak with someone in just a couple of minutes. The president of Mad Canada, whose life was affected by a drunk driver. And she'll share that story with us. She's very open about it. But we look at those drunk driving statistics. They don't change. There's very little change. It's not like they're getting better. It's not like we're saying, you know what? We've seen a rapid decline in drinking and driving. It hasn't been that at all. And that's something that has to leave everybody scratching their heads. Why is it that we haven't been able to curtail this in any way? Because it's roughly the same. I mean, the attitudes hopefully are changing, but people are still drinking and driving. And with all the education that has gone on for years and years and years, you have to wonder why. Same with smoking. You know, kids from the tiniest age now are shown the effects of smoking. And throughout their life, they're taught, you know what, if you smoke, this is going to happen. You increase your risk of cancer. You increase, you know, the the cost that you have. If you quit smoking, you can probably take a vacation every year with what you're spending on cigarettes. Uh, you're shortening your lifespan, all of those things. People still start to smoke. Young people still smoke. There are still smoking areas in every single high school in London, Ontario. Every single high school everywhere. Why? I don't know. Can't answer that. People like to smoke. People like to drink. Sometimes people will drink and drive. And we'd love to say it's easy to stop. It isn't easy to stop. But it comes down to that word that Chris just used. Education. Would something like a little personalized breathalyzer at least get you thinking about it? I think it would. I like this initiative from Blackfly. You know, it's not perfect in that these breathalyzers are not telling you exactly how much alcohol is in your system. They are actually not even a warning that you have gone over the legal limit. You certainly can't bring them to court and say, you know what? Yeah, I got pulled over for drunk driving, but look, here's my little purple breathalyzer. Showed that I had .08. I thought it meant I was okay to drive. I thought that was the thumbs up. That's not going to work. So... In the end, I like it, but I like it for that word, education. Next up, we will talk with the president of Mad Canada, Patricia Hines-Coates. And she does have a story to share, but we'll get her thoughts on a company doing this and what she feels about it because these particular breathalyzers are endorsed by Mad Canada. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Gorgeous sunny day, just confirmed for tomorrow on London Live. Max Domi is going to join us on the show. Right now, we're talking about personalized breathalyzers. The reason we're doing this is thanks to a company in London, Blackfly Beverage Company, because they are going to be including a little personalized breathalyzer with some of their products. Buy the product, get the breathalyzer. Now, you can only use it once. So this is not your own personal breathalyzer from here to the end of time. It does not show you an exact count of your blood alcohol level, but... It has been endorsed by Mad Canada. So let's get a little bit more information from Mad Canada on what these things can actually do and how they view them. Because they're not completely ideal. You can't use them in court. But what exactly are the benefits? Joining us right now, all the way from Newfoundland, is Patricia Hines-Coates, National President of Mad Canada. Patricia, how are things in Newfoundland? It's a beautiful sunny day in Newfoundland today, so it's a great day. When it's not storming, I hear it's sunny. 
Uh, yes, we've been actually having fantastic weather here lately in Newfoundland and Labrador, which is amazing for us. Normally, this time of year, we still have snow, still a lot of skidoers. But this year, we've got sunshine, and the trees are starting to bud, so it's absolutely gorgeous. Well, we'll match your sunshine today, but we'll raise you an issue that I don't think has reached Newfoundland in this kind of way, but it deals with personal breathalyzers, which Blackfly Distillery here in London is going to be attaching to some of their products. A little personalized breathalyzer. Mad Canada has looked at these before. How do you feel about these? We think they're great for use for education and awareness, but don't use them as being foolproof. You know, yes, the accuracy is better than what it used to be, but we, you know, we always are nervous with that. We know that we want people to separate drinking and driving, and we don't want these tools, these personal breathalyzers, to provide people with a false sense of reality. It is this security, lack of security that happens when people are drinking. They don't really think about um, the um, metabolization of the alcohol in the system. So you might drink X number of beers, uh, try this personal breathalyzer, and say, you know what, look, it doesn't look like I'm above this limit. But we don't know if that's going to be true or not based on what the police test is. And just because you have, um, the, you know, this personal breathalyzer tells you you're not above the legal limit doesn't mean you're not impaired. Everyone is different. So we are, we like to err on the side of caution. We don't want people to have a false sense of security with these particular because, devices. Because the ultimate breathalyzer is the one in the hand of the police officer, right? That is correct. You know, these, you can take, use these personal breathalyzers and, um, show up as not being positive or not being over the legal limit. You could get into a vehicle, drive, all of a sudden the police is pulling you over, and you know, you're now charged with a criminal offense. You're above the point eight. You know, and people get upset, and they say, but I just tried this. Well, we're telling you, use it as an education and awareness tool. Don't use it as a foolproof way to test if you're impaired or not. We would like to see people in our country across this world separating drinking and driving. If you're going to consume alcohol, have a designated driver. Call 911. Call a friend. Don't get behind the wheel of a vehicle because the end results are devastating to families such as mine and others throughout Canada. So let's try to separate that all together. Patricia, when it comes to a company putting more personal breathalyzers into circulation. Is that a positive or or is there another way that you look at that? It's, again, it's great as an education and awareness tool, but don't use it as a sure bet solution that you're not impaired. I mean, we want people to separate alcohol and driving completely. We want people to, you know, we don't have an issue with you going out and consuming alcohol. But we have an issue with you when you get behind the wheel and drive because you're putting yourself and everyone else on that roadway at risk. And trust it, for me, as a mother, as a grandmother, I don't want to have to put another child into a cold grave. So we plead with you to separate that. And we want you to use those personal breathalyzers as an education and awareness tool to tell where you are, but not when it comes to driving. The ultimate test for you will be when you are pulled over 
and the police gives you the breathalyzer, and that breathalyzer is the one that's going to stand up in court, not this little device that's provided um, as an education tool or an awareness tool. Patricia, you do speak from experience. Is that something that we need to hear more of? Because Mad Canada does a great job getting stories out there, but in order for those stories to hit home, the people who haven't experienced tragedy, who haven't experienced loss, have to hear them. I agree. You know, everyone has this goes about in this world with a false sense of reality. They think that it will never happen to me. Well, myself and thousands of other families in Canada can stand up and say, we, we thought that too at one point in time until we've gotten that knock on that door or that phone call telling us that our loved ones are no longer going to come home. For us, the reality hit well, on a beautiful Friday, Sunday afternoon in August when we had gotten a call that my stepson Nicholas was struck by an impaired driver at 11.17 in the morning. From there, we now have a new life, a life we didn't ever ask for. And if we can share our story and prevent somebody from doing this to somebody else, then yes, it is well worth it. Patricia Hines-Coates, National President with Mad Canada. Patricia, before we let you go, Bill C-46 is something that Mad Canada certainly has talked a lot about. What would you like us to know about Bill C-46 from Mad's perspective? Bill C-46 has provisions in there such as mandatory screening for alcohol, per se limits for drug testing um, at roadside. It has a saliva test in there that's being implemented. We want you to support this. Reach out to your provincial and your federal MPs and tell them that you support this. Mandatory screening alone will save thousands of lives on our roadway. Before before the government legalizes cannabis. We want to make sure the per se limits are in there to stop people from driving while impaired by drugs as well. Put this bill into place and we have moved forward in our country and we will save lives so that other families such as mine and others such as mine with Mag Canada will no longer have to bury a loved one. Patricia, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. Patricia Hines-Coates, National President of Mad Canada. So Bill C-46 is something we might get into a little later on in the show. Just to read through it, just to let you know what this could mean if it goes into effect and get your thoughts on whether or not you feel it's too invasive, whether it goes too far. Mad Canada is for it. They've made no bones about that. This is something that they feel would be very helpful. And if you look at at what it allows police officers to do, or even in the legislation, in in the wording, peace officers, if they suspect a driver has a drug in their body, they can demand that the driver provide a sample of a bodily substance for analysis by drug screening equipment that is approved by the Attorney General of Canada. It authorizes mandatory roadside screening for alcohol. I mean, this is something that does make a difference when we do get closer to the legalization of marijuana, and we're getting pretty close to that. We are close to news. We'll take a quick break. Jerry Dias will join us after 2 o'clock. We'll talk NAFTA, and we'll get the latest from him on how he feels things are going. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Anyone having fun with traffic downtown? Today is especially tied up. So if you can avoid a lot of downtown, especially around Rideout, yeah, that's probably... A good thing to do. Coming up on Wednesday, 
No, tomorrow's Wednesday. Tomorrow's is tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Coming up on Wednesday, we will be speaking with Max Domi. Coming up before the end of the week, very excited to let you know Declan Hill is going to join us. Declan Hill is someone who has infiltrated gambling outfits. And he's written books like The Fix. And he's written books about match fixing in soccer. And this needs to be looked at. I mean, we talked about gambling just a couple of weeks ago with regard to a new casino here in London, Ontario. And we saw the city of London basically clear the way for that new casino by putting into place something that had not been in place in London, but had been in place in a number of other cities. Just a little provision, a little, little technicality. But now we're all set. We just need to figure out where it's going to go. It's going to be a Western fair. It's going to be somewhere else. Don't know. But gambling itself is certainly a concern for some, but it's more and more accessible than it has ever been before. And with that comes sports betting. It is so easy to bet on sports that a particular app that I use to check scores, because I'm a sports fan, also allows me to bet. Now, I don't, but because I never win. I tried ProLine when it first came out. Thought, wow, I follow sports. I could probably win some money. I didn't. I've never won a ProLine ticket. I've probably bought five. But as sports betting gets a whole lot closer to the leagues in North America by way of those leagues figuring out how to make money off this, because you can bet on anything going on in North America right now. It's not hard to find that. But the leagues themselves want to cash in. This becomes a very important topic. Because it has ruined things in other spots. And one of the things that Declan Hill is going to talk about is the sport of tennis. And how much match fixing goes on in tennis. And you don't necessarily think about it. But there are over 2,000 professional tennis players. And yet, not that many of them make money. A lot of them are trying. A lot of them are hoping. But they don't make money. And they don't have a team around them. So when someone approaches them and says, you know what? I can help you make a little extra money. I can help you stay on tour. What I need you to do is go down in the third set. It's like old boxing matches. Sounds like Pulp Fiction. You'll go down in the fourth round. But that's what happens. And all of a sudden, a door is open that you can't quite close Ever again. So that'll come up before the end of the week. Declan Hill is going to join us. We are going to be talking about NAFTA in just a couple of minutes. We are due to be joined by Unifor President Jerry Diaz. Have an email from Rob who says only two things that would get me downtown with all the construction going on the London Knights and a guest spot on London Live. You know what? The London Knights will be back soon. Rob, we can take care of a guest spot on London Live. Absolutely. We'll add you to the list. We've got a growing list of what's coming up this week. We'll put you on the list. But we are going to be talking about NAFTA. Talks began yesterday again. And here's the concern with NAFTA. If things don't get settled, 
we are going to be into a period where U.S. elections kind of take over. And in Mexico, same sort of thing. So nobody's going to be interested in signing anything big like, oh, NAFTA. And yet it does become very important, especially for workers in all three countries, workers here too. And a lot of times this is pushed as being just something in the auto sector when in actuality it extends far beyond the auto sector. And there is a lot right now dealing with things like our border and duty-free. And when you look at customs procedures for online purchases, well, how does that happen? I mean, if you shop online, how many times do you go and, oh, look, yeah, okay, there's that thing I was looking for. Hey, look, $24. And then you go to checkout and you see, oh, oh yeah, well, the shipping's going to cost me another 14 so that's 38 And then there's some taxes on top of that, which is basically your duty, and they're $20. So $24 now doubled to 58 Whoa. That's actually, it's more. It's $24. It's, it's more than double. I'm not buying that. And then you go click, 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 and you click out of it. How many times does that happen? Well, that's part of these talks as well. So it goes well beyond just the auto sector. But the key for everybody seems to be, if you want to get this done, get it done now. Problem that everybody seems to have is you still have Mexican workers who work for far less than we do. And with that, you have companies that are going to say, yeah, but we're going to still do a lot of work in Mexico. So there is a reported part of the talks right now where the United States is asking that 40% of every car be produced in a high-wage country. Otherwise, the car would be subjected to a big tariff. So that would be the idea. So whether they can get that through, because it doesn't seem that they're going to get wage increases in Mexico. Because that's not what's going to happen. I mean, we don't necessarily take the time to think about, you know, the difference in wages. One of the best stories that you could lay out for this was told to me by a journalist. That journalist was in Mexico when they had the World Cup of Soccer. And that journalist and a number of others were covering the World Cup of Soccer. And they had gone through, you know, World Cup lasts a long time, but a month. They had gone through most of that month, and they'd been to a number of different cities. And they were there for the final night. And everybody had just kind of some additional pesos left over. So they were sitting there, and they were having a a nice dinner in a fairly nice restaurant. And the server that they had was great guy. And at the end of the night, they decided, you know what, instead of changing all these pesos back, you know, there were, what, eight, nine, ten of them. They decided, well, why don't, why don't we just give our leftover pesos to our server? He's been great. He's, we've had a really fun time with him. So they come to the point where they have to pay the bill. The bill arrives. Server comes over and they say, here you go. And uh, don't worry about the change. We, we don't want any change. That's all for you. So the server leaves the table. And a couple minutes later, a manager comes over. The manager says, um, there may have been a mistake. Um, You guys saw the, the total on your bill. You've given much, much more than what your total on the bill was. 
And they said, no, 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 no. You know what? We're, we're journalists from Canada and the U.S. and wherever else they happen to be from. No, this is, this is our last night in Mexico. We fly out tomorrow. Uh, we were just giving the extra pesos that we had to our server. He did a really good job. Hey, we had a fantastic time. You have a very nice restaurant here. So the manager goes away. And the manager comes back again and says, no, now, are, are you sure that this is what you want to do? And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were about to leave. And all of a sudden, their server comes back and he has tears in his eyes. And they didn't quite understand what was happening. But they had basically, in the pesos that they left, which to them was maybe a couple hundred bucks total. I mean, they'd had a table of eight, nine, ten people. It's not a major tip. But in the money that they had left him, that was about three, four, five months' wages. So that's the difference between Mexico and Canada and the U.S. And that's a difference that's difficult to kind of bridge in NAFTA talks. You're not going to change that. You're not going to change the structure of how people in Mexico are paid. So you're going to have that discrepancy, and that somehow has to be overcome. And that's something that a number of people in these discussions have talked about. So how do you do it? I don't know. And that's why they seem to be at a big stalemate here. But they've got to get something done. Otherwise, you're into election periods, and you may never get something done. We're hoping to speak with Jerry Diaz, who is the president of Unifor. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back in just a moment. Lots ahead. This is London Live with Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We will do our best to get Jerry Diaz before the end of the show. Apparently, he is into a meeting. So, you know what? Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that means they're making some headway on NAFTA. But if we can get him, we certainly will. We have a lot of things going on with regard to NAFTA talks, but you know what? We'll have to wait for the outcome of that. Otherwise, there isn't much that that we can point to and say, yeah, okay, here's what's happening. I want to switch and talk about something else that became kind of an interesting cross-section. And you wonder what exactly is contributing to this. This comes from the American Psychiatric Association. And I want you to think about yourself right now. How anxious do you tend to feel on a regular basis? And sometimes it's difficult to measure that. Well, I, I don't know. Not really, or sometimes sure. It depends on what I'm doing. Am I going up and making a speech? Then I feel quite anxious. If I'm going to the grocery store, not as much. But this new survey from the American Psychiatric Association has said 39% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did just a year ago. And that number has kind of doubled, whereas the people who feel less anxious has really not gone in the right direction at all. It hasn't really moved. And so, you know, they were asked, okay, well, what is it that you are concerned about? What are you feeling anxious about? So they said, well, keeping myself or my family safe, uh, financial fears, paying bills and other expenses, sure, Um, medical conditions, those sorts of things. So they have a national anxiety score in the United States, and they've had a five-point increase in that as well. And that goes away from 
this actual study. And I, I keep wondering, I mean, are, you could look at a number of different factors in all of this, but we tend to spend a whole lot of time not relaxing anymore. You know, if you take a trip this summer, do yourself a favor and I think maybe one of the best spots to go to, and, and you can add on to this list if you want to, one of the best spots to go to, even though there is no beach, even though there really isn't a resort that you can use in the summertime, in the winter, yeah, for sure, go to Alberta. Because Alberta does a very good job balancing work and play. They really do. Where I think in Ontario, and I Again, this is kind of a a national survey that I'm going to, but it leads me to this discussion. In Alberta, they do a very good job of work and play. So they will make sure that you work hard, but yeah, you play hard. You take some time to, you know, do some other things. I think we in Ontario especially get wrapped up too much in finding ways to work or never quite being away from work. And you can blame the cell phone, the smartphone for that if you want to, but you can turn that off. You can put it on a charger. You can leave it alone. But if you have it beside you, it is that thing that that becomes kind of intertwined with you, and you're always able to do a little something. Or even if you're not working, you're doing something that's not quite relaxing, you know, or that's more just wasting time flicking through feeds and stuff like that. So... Are we doing enough in this province in order to balance that work and play? Or if we actually took a similar study and if we talked about the things that the American Psychiatric Association is talking about, would we find the same thing, that people are feeling more anxious? Because I don't think this is going away. I don't think this is changing. And it does come down to our lifestyle, where you used to have that real break between Work and play. And some people still pull that off. And good for you if you're one of them. Because I think it's one of the most important things. But you take a look at whether it's students these days. Students take things far more seriously too. You know, if if you want to go out and do something. They are, are sure, yeah, going out on the weekend sometimes and, and blowing off some steam. But at the same time, the hours upon hours and hours and hours of homework that they are going through, that's a big deal. And there's quite a few of those hours for them. And a lot of them put that pressure on themselves to go and, and succeed. So they have to do that. Well, you know, this person in my class is doing this or this person in my class is doing this. And I find that there's there's more of a focus on education maybe now than when we were younger, when we were in school. So that, too, leads to anxiety. You haven't seen too many things anywhere that have said, no, nah, anxiety's on the decline. What do you think? Do we need a better work-play balance in the province of Ontario? Have we changed that much over the last little while? Or is this simply a personal choice? I mean, if you want a work-life balance then have it. Is it as easy as saying that? Or do you find that demands from work extend a little longer? I don't know personally, because I work in a strange business, where you might work eight hours in a day, they just won't be eight hours in a row. There might be something you have to do at night, there might be something you have to do for five minutes, but it makes a big difference. 
I mean, we share some responsibilities sometimes. If you see a thunderstorm warning, you want to make sure that you get that out there. Well, that might take you five minutes to do that. Somebody else might not have seen that. So that's the kind of stuff we do. But in your own day, is that something that that does come up where you can't get away from work? Or is it simply a personal choice? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet at Stubbs980. Because I really believe that we do a poor job in the province of Ontario splitting up work and play. And that we have become way more work-focused than a lot of other spots. And, you know... If you, if you want to do it, if you want to have that play aspect, it certainly can be there. But in a way, you aren't always in control of that. You know, maybe the demands get greater. Maybe there's a lot more happening at work. And then, you know what, your anxiety goes up, your blood pressure goes up, and nothing good tends to come of any of that. So this was a study done by the American Psychiatric Association, and it showed that, yeah, the The Americans surveyed showed that they had had a 39 or they they showed 39 percent of Americans felt more anxious this year than they did last year. And they actually broke it down to adults younger than 50. 38 percent of men, 57 percent of women said they had become more anxious in the past year. And if you looked at the numbers for men and women over the age of 50, not the same. Now, you're in a different spot in your life at that point. But this is something that that is a, a real issue. And it's another one of those things that you talk about with regard to you know, on, maybe on the scale of mental illness. And people don't, don't want to admit it. You know, you can't come to your boss and say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really anxious about this. You know, I'm, I'm really, really kind of nervous. I'm not sleeping well. And I'm I'm getting into arguments with people, and it's it's because of whatever it is that's coming up. That's still not something that can come out in the open. That's still one of those things that is perceived as weakness. That no, we can't have that. We can't do that. So interesting thing to look at. But I I really think if you're taking a trip, you need to go to Alberta and you need to see how they balance work and play because they do a very good job of it. Coming up after news with Jacqueline LaBelle, we are going to be looking at rent versus buy. Very interesting article in the Globe and Mail. And it deals with the number of individuals who are renting now as opposed to buying, especially those that are doing so maybe a little later in life, where you think, you know what, we'll downsize, we'll sell the house, but... We're not necessarily going to take that money and buy a smaller house because a lot of times that's not really saving you a whole lot of money. So we're going to sit and rent. We'll go through some of the details, but if you're somebody who has chosen to rent, I'd love to know your story. What is it that took you to that instead of just downsizing as has been the entire way of doing things for years and years? Well, get out of the big house. Don't need three bedrooms anymore. Don't need four bedrooms anymore. We'll just get into a a smaller home, but we are going to own it because that's the way to go. So we'll talk about that after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. It is a beautiful, beautiful 
Sunny afternoon, and it looks like we're going to get a couple of days of this. Friday doesn't look quite as good, and the weekend doesn't look as good as today or tomorrow. So make sure you get out and enjoy at least some of that sunshine this evening. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Know who this weather is tough on? Guys with thinning hair. Want to know why? There's a lot of sunshine out there. And as your hair thins as you get older, you like to believe that it's not really happening. You like to say, no, it's not as bad as I think. In fact, some days you look in the mirror and you think, oh, maybe some of it's filling back in. Look, I think this one's new. But then you get a day like Saturday or Sunday or yesterday or today when you've got an awful lot of sunshine. And if you spend any time outside... You aren't wearing a hat. You're not wearing sunscreen on the top of your head because you've got hair on the top of your head. And if you're outside long enough the next day, you go to wash your hair and you turn on the shower. And as the water hits your head, you kind of, ooh, what's that? And then you raise your arms up and you put your fingers into your hair and you touch your scalp and it is burned to a crisp. It is the nastiest sunburn that you've ever had. And you realize normally this doesn't happen to people who own hair. But it's happening now because there's not enough hair covering where there used to be hair covering. Therefore, your scalp is burning. Only people who don't enjoy weather like this, because it does bring in that cruel reality that, yes, it is almost time to buy your very own razor. We have Blue Jays baseball coming up. They may open the Dome. The big Blue Jays story has been Roberto Osuna, and in fact, Major League Baseball has issued a statement on Roberto Osuna. If you missed it, he has been arrested and he's been charged with assault. So here is the official statement from Major League Baseball. MLB takes all allegations of this nature very seriously. We are investigating the circumstances. We have placed Roberto Osuna on administrative leave in accordance with the joint MLB-MLBPA domestic violence policy. So he's been charged with assault, and there had been reports from the outset that this was a domestic violence issue. So Roberto Osuna is not going to be pitching for the Toronto Blue Jays tonight and not for the foreseeable future. And the Blue Jays may have to change a particular promotion that they had because they were giving away, I think it was Roberto Osuna t-shirts on Thursday. Well, they likely will not be giving those away on Thursday now. So Major League Baseball has placed Roberto Osuna of the Blue Jays on administrative leave in accordance with the joint MLB-MLBPA domestic violence policy. Right now, the Jays have their own stage in the sports world in Toronto. Raptors became the first number one seed in 49 years to lose out in the first round. People were in Jurassic Park last night. They were braving some cold. They were hoping that there would be another home game. There will not be. Here's the thing that everyone is calling for now. It's it's a rebuild of the Raptors. Don't do that. Don't do that at all. This is not, oh, this team can only win in the regular season. They'll never win in the playoffs. Well, there's a learning process here, and there's a lot of bright young talent. Don't get rid of the other talent just yet. You know, DeMar DeRozan probably dealt with a confidence issue. They were picking on him defensively, and then 
his offense kind of struggled along with it. So give this team another year. Don't be doing things like using the word rebuild. The Raptors aren't using it yet, but a lot of other people have said, no, 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 you gotta, you gotta, if you can't win this, you, you, no, that's not what you need to do. In sports, you learn by experience. In life, you learn by experience. Aren't you better the second and third and 2,000th time that you've done something? I bet the first time anybody got behind the wheel of any sort of vehicle, they weren't very good. You know, aren't 16-year-old drivers a little scary to drive with? They get better. Sometimes they become better than the rest of us because they've had to go through that recent test. We should all be tested a little more regularly. I still believe that. We'll take a quick break. I want to talk some renting versus buying and a few other things before 3 o'clock hits. My name is Mike Stubbs. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Lots of sunshine. Interesting article in the Globe and Mail. And think about this as it pertains to how you are dealing with home ownership. If we look at the Canadian Rental Housing Index, so this is not London, Ontario. This is all across Canada. We now have, for the first time, not just in a year or five years or a decade, for the first time in decades, demand for rents and rental housing is actually greater than demand for ownership of houses. So rent prices, we don't want to hear this, but rent prices are going higher and higher. And think about what that means. You know, if you are a young person right now, getting into a starter home is becoming increasingly difficult. If we go back 10 years, what would you say a starter home could go for? 150? Go back 20 years, maybe 100? 1000? What would a starter home be now? It'd be over $200,000. Now you can find them for less than that, but again, as a young person, do you want a fixer upper? Do you want a faller downer? You don't want either of those things. Typically, if you're a young person, you're not looking to go in as much as you may have watched a lot of the shows and say, ah, this is not a load-bearing wall, so we're going to knock this one out. We're going to open this up. We are going to put in beautiful granite floor. You don't have the money for that. You barely have the money for a down payment. So this becomes a real issue because if rents are driven up, then that's problematic for absolutely everybody. Because in real estate, what tends to happen? Anything ever come down? Ever seen a price come down? Never. Doesn't happen. Has not happened yet. Yeah, there's little fluctuations. But seriously, 50 years ago, you bought a house for 25 grand. It was a great house. We are never going to see a return to prices like that. Now, at the same time, you could buy a bag of chips for a quarter. And that's not going to happen either. What's a bag of Doritos these days? Can you find one for under three ninety nine? I'm having trouble. Two ninety nine at least. Three fifty. It's a bag of Doritos. I don't get it, but I like Doritos. But this becomes a real issue, and it does become an issue in London as well. Now they've got some advocacy groups that are looking into this and you know they're raising their concerns but unless you put real solid rent controls you're not necessarily going to impact it and in the meantime things are just going to rise. We've seen a rise in real estate prices in London, Ontario. And for those who own real estate, that's fantastic. For those who do not, that's a nightmare. So we've got people also 
who are deciding to sell, let's call it the family home, and instead of saying, okay, well, we'll buy another place, they are renting. And that's been happening as well. So if we look at this, it it becomes a, a real concern because if you have a demand for rent Going up, you have the same sort of thing where if you've got a demand for you know sale of homes, that's that's what obviously has has caused the rise in real estate for years and years and years. We've had foreign investors. This market has been flooded by call them Toronto investors, people who are looking for a place to retire. They sell their home in Toronto for one point two million. They find a home around here for four hundred thousand and they've got eight hundred grand in the bank. Isn't that a nice little thing to have? Of course it is. But if you look in, say, northwest London, you've got a lot of people renting rather than buying. And that becomes a, a big part of this because you want, you want to see rent stay affordable. But the more they go up, the harder it is for everybody to rent. And you still look at the young people and you say, how are they going to get involved in this? You want to, you, we're not going to turn into a Whistler anytime soon. But in Whistler, some people are paying 900 bucks to sleep under the kitchen table. They don't even have a room. They don't even have a bed. They just have a spot in the house. But you've got to pack so many people into a rental property in order to afford to pay for that property that you can't put everybody in a bedroom. Some people just choose to live right there. I sleep under the table every night. Sleep great. And you might have the best bedroll going. After a while, you want your privacy. After a while, you want to hang a poster on a wall. So that's not the way we're going, but these rises in rent are definitely going to have an impact. So interesting story in the Globe and Mail. We'll take one more break. We'll return with more after this. My name is Mike Stubbs. You are listening to London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, this can't be... Can't be. Rob just emailed saying he was at Shoppers on Sunday. Bag of Doritos, four ninety nine. The Doritos index is important to pay attention to. Bag of Doritos, four ninety nine. That's that's excessive. I know they're good. They are. Old or Miss Vicky's? They're usually really high. You can get the the kind of no name ish. Bags of chips. They're not even no name anymore. They have names. But until you make your name, maybe this is just the power of the brand, isn't it? Because there there are chips. You can buy chips at Canadian Tire. They sell chips. Every store is everything to everybody anymore, isn't it? And they're really cheap. But you make your name brand. Trying to think of what the name is of the chips that they sell at Canadian Tire. Have you ever seen those? The front of the bag has, like, jokes on it. Whatever it is, whatever the flavor is, there's a play on words. I've never eaten the bag. I don't know if they're any good. I'm not endorsing them. But they're there, and they're right near the checkout, and they sell chips at Canadian Tire along with windshield wipers and hockey equipment and whatever else is in the store. Lights for your your fence posts, things like that, and chips. But... If they could make their name like Doritos, maybe they could go above the dollar and seventy nine cents that they're selling theirs for. So four ninety nine. That is the power of the brand. Britain 
is looking at banning something else. Talked a couple of weeks ago about straws. Remember, they're going to get rid of straws. They're trying to encourage Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to do the same. He was able to kind of push that forward, saying, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll talk about this when the G7 countries get together. Britain is looking at getting rid of wet wipes. Why? Well, because they don't like the flushable ones. Yeah, but they're flushable. Oh, wait a minute. They say, no, they're not. They are not flushable because you run into issues with clogging plumbing because there's a plastic component to all wet wipes. So they're looking at adding that to their straws and other plastics ban that is coming up. 519-643-2222. We were talking about renting versus buying and some details that were brought out in an article in the Globe and Mail, which is kind of disconcerting to say the least, and here is what it is. For the first time in decades, the demand for rental housing has exceeded the demand for ownership. And as soon as that happens, Adam Smith, supply and demand, what happens? Rent prices go off the charts. And so we've seen a rise in rent prices. Rick, you wanted to make a comment about renting versus buying. How you doing? Hey, not bad, Mike. The story I got is uh, a few years ago, I got from Murray, Alberta, to work in the tar stands, and uh, he, him and all the six guys went out there, and they were going to buy a house there, but they, the other guys backed out, so there's only four of them left. And the one guy had a brother come out west looking for a job, and he couldn't find a place, to, like an apartment, to rent in Fort McMurray. It was so damn expensive. So one day they're sitting around playing cards at the kitchen table, and he was bitching and crying to his friends, you know, he couldn't find a place to rent. And the one guy that owns the house, he says, hey, I tell you what, Come on upstairs here in my room here. He says, you being funny? He says, no, come on upstairs here. So he went upstairs. He says, walks in the chair, walks over to the big grand, uh, up. what do you think of this? He says, well, what do we think of this? He says, well, what do you see? He says, oh, I see a hammock. Talk to the walls inside the closet there. He says, yes, sir. He says, you can have her for 400 bucks a week. So he like $1,600 a month. And that was cheap for being out there. And did he take it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, the rents, rents are just bloody expensive out there at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, you look he, at, at what was happening with with workers. They were in such demand, you'd have restaurants that would lose their entire staff because they would just go and work in the oil fields because they would come and say, hey, we've opened up a new well. Do you want to make this much money? Let's go. And, and the rent would go with it. Wow, a hammock well, inside basically a walk-in closet then. Yeah, and that was pretty funny because also I, uh, I knew guys that drive a truck and they used to take these what they call ATCO trailers, a Western job shack trailers, and they'd rent them out there. I mean, they're like they're actually they sell them. They buy them here in London for about seven thousand. They take them out west somewhere thirty five, forty thousand dollars, and they were getting it too. That's incredible. Oh yeah, yep. Any idea whether that kind of thing is still going on? Because I know a lot of the the oil wells have been closed over because of what's happened with the price of oil in the last few years. Well, it's 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 might it might have leveled off some, but I don't know because they had that big fire up there. I, I've got an east lives in Kelowna, BC. There, it's just it's just ridiculous. There, like I was thinking of moving up there for a while there, and she says, "Don't even bother," because I go, "One bedroom is expensive." And I says, "What about a bachelor?" She says, "You're looking anywhere from seventeen, eighteen hundred a month for a bachelor apartment." Yep, plus Whew. plus. Wow, Rick, thanks for the call. All right, thanks.
See, that puts into perspective, at least for us, that we're not in the worst shape in the world. I mean, rent prices can rise, yes, and we're not seeing necessarily rent prices in in London rising by leaps and bounds right now. Keep in mind, what we were pointing to from the Globe and Mail was from the Canadian Rental Housing Index. So this is across the country. So we tend to lag behind real estate prices. We tend to lag behind rent prices. But that is what some people do. It's not just sleeping under a table. Look at that. Walk-in closet, hammock, that's you. 1600 a month. 519-643-2222. We'll close out the show by hearing from Richard. Richard, how are things? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Excellent, thanks. I'll keep this as quick and brief as I can. 80% of all Canadians, Mike, live under one form of rent control or the other. In some provinces, they are stronger than others. But in Alberta and Saskatchewan, there is no rent controls. Saskatchewan had them up until April the 1st, 1992. But Mr. Romano, in his infinite wisdom, six months after, after he came to power, he decided to take out rent controls. For the next uh, decade and a half afterwards, it wasn't a big issue, Mike. But anyways, on April the 30th of 2007, Richard and Margaret's rent went from 500 a month in Saskatoon. It went to over 1,500 a month. That's how bad it got in Saskatchewan. But anyways, having said that, and Alberta's never had rent controls other than once from 1977 to 1980 under former Premier Peter Lockheed. He brought in rent controls temporarily because he would not stand back right and watch some unscrupulous landlords right throw Albertans into the streets. Peter said, right, as long as I am the premier of Alberta, and he said, even though I uh, loathe rent controls, he said, I will not stand back and watch my citizens being thrown out onto the street. And so conservative premier Peter Lockheed brought him in for three years, and then he took him out. Anyways, on this final note, my advice to all listeners out there, if you're in a position right, my advice to you right is buy yourself a home. There is no future in renting right and once we get a new government in and i'm not trying to scare anybody but i have a feeling right that even rent controls are going to be more weakened than ontario you have a good afternoon mike have a great day richard wow up a thousand dollars a month i mean that's that's the kind of thing that you've got to keep from happening that's where we run into real problem spots we've got enough problem spots to deal with already in this province. Thank you so much for all of the participation today, all of the emails, the phone calls. And coming up tomorrow, we are going to be speaking with Max Domi. We'll talk some hockey, sure, but Max Domi has a very interesting story regarding living with type 1 diabetes. He is a professional athlete, and it's something that he's been dealing with his entire life. And we will kind of talk about how that's going. Max has a, a service dog that basically helps him with it. It's, it's amazing. So we'll get to that. Thanks to Andrew Graham. Thanks to Devin Peacock. Next up, news on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.